We talk a lot about movement here on Why Dance Matters. The body in motion, whether it belongs to dancers, dance teachers, even athletes. But we're about to speak to someone who depends on bodies holding as still as possible. We're going to meet Ralph Hyman's portrait artist. I'm David Jays, and Why Dance Matters is the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. The RAD is moving into a brand new London home and is celebrating this landmark in their 100-year history with a portrait competition for the new building. The RAD is launching a competition to paint a portrait of Adeline Genet, a world-famous dancer of the early 20th century and the co-founder and first president of the RAD. And the judges for the competition include the Australian portrait artist Ralph Hymans. Ralph trained as an architect, but art was always his passion, and he's found a fulfilling creative home in portraiture. He has a unique niche in portraits of royalty. The Queen, Prince Charles, the Duke of Edinburgh, daunting commissions that often receive intense public scrutiny. Ralph has to capture the essence of people who were once incredibly over-familiar, but also strangely mysterious. How does he do it? He's also portrayed artists from Margaret Atwood to Judi Dench. How would he approach a portrait of a dancer? And what's the point of portraiture in our selfie-ridden age? Ralph is usually the one doing the looking, but today I'm hoping we'll get a portrait of the artist, warts and all. Ralph Hymans, welcome to Why Dance Matters. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. I am an interviewer. I like asking the questions rather than answering them. I'm wondering if you prefer to be the person who's doing the looking rather the one, than the one who is under scrutiny. Absolutely. <laughs> 110%. I even find it hard to see Purcell portrait. Oh, really? You just don't like that gaze being turned on it's you? It's very confronting. It's very good fatigue. I'm used to being on the other side of the, of the looking, as wow. you say. Well, I will try and make this as gentle and <laughs> untraumatic an experience as possible. <laughs> Though, talking of traumatic experiences, we've all been through lockdown. Yes. What is it like to be a portrait artist in a pandemic when you can't presumably get together with your subject? Well, it's been very challenging because part of the magic of portraiture is that interaction that the artist has with the subject and that getting to know each other, period, and, and having a sense of how they are in real life, how they move, how they, you know, the impression you get is extremely important in the sitting with the subject and, and it make, always makes its way to canvas somehow. So it has been extremely challenging not being able to meet people. Fortunately, I had a group of commissions to work on that carried me through the lockdown so I didn't have to encounter that problem. And now that we're coming out, which is just wonderful, I'm able to meet people again. And it's an integral part of that whole process of being a portrait painter is just to have that personal contact. A portrait is ultimately a dialogue between subject and, and sitter. And it's, that, it's a yeah. byproduct of that special personal relationship that is formed between them. And I guess there's just so much information that you get from a physical presence 
bits of body language, tiny gestures, all that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It all feeds into how you instruct the sitter to pose or what they bring to the table. Every aspect of the pose suggests something different about the psychology of the subject. An artist who's attuned to that will, will produce a very lifelike portrait that people will really recognise on a deeper level the subject, you know, beyond likeness. Yeah. We're going to get into all of that even more in a moment. And we're also going to talk about the Royal Academy of Dance portrait competition that you're judging. But first, I mean, it's just a very interesting career, portraitist. How did you find your way into it? It was a sort of a magnetic pull <laughs> towards being an <laughs> artist that, that it's hard to imagine any other trajectory for me. I kind of forged my own path as every portrait painter has to because very often they work outside of the gallery system. Although I have worked with galleries, you develop a much more personal rapport with the client. It was tricky to know how to go about it. I pieced together my own education. So I started studying architecture, even though I was already taking on commissions in portraiture and I knew I wasn't ever going to be an architect. But it was something to study that combined my love of art and mathematics, actually. And then I left that and went to study fine arts and pure mathematics. But all the while was being commissioned to paint portraits from the age of 18. And then, oh, wow. you know, afterwards went to art school, went to Europe, learned from the masters in the galleries directly and had a private teacher. So my education was kind of very fractured. But, you know, that's how I pieced together my, my education. And we quite often... Um, in these conversations when we're talking to dancers they talk about how their parents have been unsure about what is a tricky and uncertain career yes am I right that your parents had similar worries about you and <laughs> took you to a psychologist to try and talk this through <laughs> that's right there was a I mean it's unusual because my father is a filmmaker so he in a way he experienced the type of life that I was destined to that is working from commission to commission or from film to film for him and that probably worried sure. him even more knowing <laughs> the kind of life that was in store but at one occasion they took me to a psychologist when I was in my early 20s and they sat down and and the psychologist asked so what's the issue and they said he wants to be an artist they in unison they both sort of <laughs> blurted this out and then she was completely bemused and <laughs> I was shocked too that they were so anxious about it but um eventually they realized it wasn't a fad or anything and I was completely committed and they you know came to be very very supportive which is wonderful oh good What was the first portrait where it felt or where you felt that you were both capturing the essence of your subject, but also expressing yourself? Wow. I think one of the pivotal kind of commissions for me was in 2005 when I received the commission to paint Princess Mary of Denmark. And that was fascinating because my first royal portrait and I totally fell in love with the genre of royal portraiture because it combined my love of old master paintings and my desire to sort of push the narrative of portraiture to a multi-level kind of uh, plane which really engaged the public. So it was both a passion of mine to discover this 
pictorial tradition of royal portraiture, which allowed me to indulge in that love of history of art in my paintings, which was fabulous. So that, that was a kind of breakthrough commission for me. And I was allowed to be very inventive with that portrait and to explore different narrative devices to tell the story about the princess who is an Australian girl who, who met the uh, Prince of Denmark in a pub in Sydney in the, in, in the, in the 2000 Olympics. So she has quite a journey. And so it was, it was yeah. a challenge to sort of embed that journey in the portrait. And in doing so, I really sort of took my art to another level. I love that you have found such freedom in that genre of royal portraiture because I can imagine for a lot of artists it would feel very constraining that you would feel as if you always had to be on your best behaviour even more than in any other kind of portrait. How do you not get too deferential, too flattering, too (laughs) polite? Oh, it's a wonderful genre and and many artists find it limiting. On the contrary, I, I found it liberating. And I've found that I've had quite a lot of freedom to express my ideas in in all of the royal portraits. Actually, I've never been overlooked by the palace or by an institution. I have, you know, only required to describe my ideas verbally in advance. So most people might think it's a very limiting genre. I mean, you have to represent very well-loved figures, so there's a lot of pressure on the artist. So that it doesn't come without pressure, I can tell you. You know, criticising royal portraiture is a bit of a blood sport. So, you know, you, you have to sort of take that on board and it's a make or break. Every royal portrait is a make or break work for your career. So the pressure is really on. But I find it fascinating when a portrait is within the public eye. It's of somebody that the public knows and loves and has strong opinions about. And you present your vision. I've been quite ambitious in terms of the scale and the scope of each of those portraits to really to have a strong narrative that I think expresses the moment that each portrait sort of signifies. So with the Queen, it's the Diamond Jubilee. With Prince Philip, it was the announcement of his retirement. With Prince Charles, it was turning 70, his 70th birthday and and, uh, the new responsibilities that came with that. Those of us who obsessively watch The Crown know (laughs) that that's all about, running through virtually all the stories in that series, it's about the tension Mm. between the the role, the being part of the the crown, the firm, and the the beating heart of the individual within. Yes. And, you know, time after time, it's the beating heart that (laughs) that gets squashed. Is that tension one that you think that you're kind of addressing in a way in the portrait? Absolutely. Absolutely. I really feel the crown resonates with the same sort of approach in my portraiture. Even before the series came out, you know, the painting of um, the Dime Jubilee portrait of the Queen represents her alone in the Abbey at night, surrounded by the darkness and emptiness of that incredible building. And it yeah. kind of weighs on her and she's lifting that, that heavy 18-foot-long robe uh, to sort of really remind the viewer of the original oath that she made and that the burden of office. So, yes, all of those ideas which confront the viewer with examining that intersection between the private world, you know, that sense of free will 
versus duty and the role that they inhabit. These are the, the preoccupations of the crown, exactly. I've been fascinated by that, that intersection. As, as you say there, it's not just about getting the face right. It's about the setting. It's where you choose to put them, how you choose to light them, yes. what objects or places you, you highlight. It's quite a theatrical set of choices in a way, isn't it? Yes. I have a very holistic approach to portraiture in that every element of the work, from the pose, the expression, the setting, everything uh, says something meaningful about the subject. So it's all purposeful. The energy of the portrait extends to all four corners of the canvas. And I also have a very cinematic approach to portraiture in that all my paintings are in that sort of cinematic horizontal format, which I think allows you to tell stories more. That's definitely my my preoccupation. And you've painted a lot of uh, people with a really substantial public profile. And I guess you quite often don't get a lot of time, I'm sure, with royalty. Yes. The constraints must be really quite tight there. You just, what, get a sitting or two with a sea of corgis kind of nipping at your ankles. <laughs> and is that it? That's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you've seen the corgis. I'm, no, I'm, well, you know, I, I have need... to say I haven't, unfortunately. But oh. when I did complete the sitting a tiny bit early, the Queen remarked how she would have time to walk the corgis which during the, the Diamond Jubilee was a rare occasion for her. So, <laughs> oh, so that's so your part of your skill is getting in, getting the information you need, exactly. and getting out before yes, wow. yeah, before people get annoyed with you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, when you walk through the door, what are you? When it's someone you've never met before, what do you immediately start to look for? everything. I'm looking at the setting. I'm looking at their facial expressions, their body language, as we said earlier. It's really key. I'm looking for their story. What story? I mean, many people have many stories to tell. You have to focus on one. You know, as a portrait painter, you have to summarize the life of a person in a single image. That's at least your goal, because ultimately you have to make something timeless. It's not a fragment of someone's life in the way that a photograph is. It's for posterity. That's the real challenge is to sort of come to sort of crystallise all of your perceptions about the person and their life. And, I, and I'll do a lot of research. I'll, you know, if there's a biography out there, I'll read it and learn about their history. Because ultimately, you want this image to last through the generation. So it has to say something timeless about them. That's the real challenge. Yeah. So I guess I'm constantly looking for that. There's a brilliant moment, which I love, in Hilary Mantel's novel Wolf Hall right. about Thomas Cromwell, Henry VIII's yeah. minister. And he has his portrait painted, very famous portrait by Holbein. Right. And when he looks at it and says, oh God, I look like a murderer. <laughs> and uh, he's not wrong. And, uh, you know, as, right. <laughs> as, this, as the tale develops, you know, you kind of see why someone might have seen that. Exactly. Do you ever feel that you're picking up on on stuff that you couldn't possibly know, even through all of that research and that biography, that even maybe the subject might not be very consciously aware of themselves? I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the aim, is to really get down to the essence. And with some people, it's, it's understood and easy and they open up because, I mean, basically at a sitting, you know, it's a silent contract they have with the artist to, to allow themselves to be psychologically scrutinised. 
you know, yeah. if this is going to be truthful, then the artist has to get to the truth. But that in itself can create rather interesting frictions and tensions. Um, some some will be more or less willing to sort of reveal their truth self in in the sitting, intentionally or not. It's fascinating. You know, that whole yeah. process of, of trying to penetrate the essence of a human being and their soul effectively, that's, that's your goal to capture something really truthful about them. And as a collaboration, it works best. But, um, you know, when you're painting a royal uh, sitter, that's not so easy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there, there are all sorts of barriers up, <laughs> as you would expect. But that in itself is, is fascinating to navigate those barriers and try to say something about the essence of the person. So going back to the queen, I represented her in a rather unusual way, not only isolated in the abbey, but she's looking down, you know, she's looking reflective. Yes. It's unusual in royal portraiture to show something of that nature that, 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 that transcends a kind of emotional dimension. But I thought yeah. that, that that was really important to establish a real connection, emotional connection that the viewer will could establish with the subject when they see the painting. So, yeah. And we live in this age of selfies of where yes. everyone has a camera on, on them yes. at all times yes. with their phones. Exactly. What is it that a painted portrait can do that a photograph can't? It's a very, well, it's a very different medium. And, and as I said, it comes from a different place. It comes from that relationship of the artist filtering the sitter's personality and character through their own eyes. It's often a reflection in some way of the artist as well. So it's quite a different process. So process-wise, a portrait is very different. But also I think the essence of a selfie is very much a fleeting fragment. Whilst a portrait, mm -hmm. in a portrait, everything is purposeful. And when, a, when someone looks at a portrait, they understand that, that, that the artist has put something there for a reason because they've taken the time to paint it. <laughs> so you can imagine that they've chosen it for, for a particular reason. In a selfie, you can have a lot of incidental elements of that and no one would think that that selfie was set up, you know, laboriously or took someone six months to create. Yes. <laughs> so when you look <laughs> at a portrait, you know that it's being done through time. And actually time... It's an important element in portraiture because as you're painting a work and if it does take you several months, which it does for me, it grows with you and it, it, it's sort of a bit Dorian Gray. <laughs> you know what I mean? You start to have a relationship with your two-dimensional surface, you know, as an artist. And as, as, as things develop and, and then you have more insight into the subject, with time, with the passing of time, it somehow feeds into the portrait. And so when you look at a portrait, it, you do get that sense that it's been produced carefully and meticulously over a period of time and that a lot of thought has been put into it. And that fundamentally is the difference, you know, with a selfie that's taken in a fleeting moment. Has it ever not worked out? Have you ever found yourself just really unable to get a, a read on a subject or that they've been unable to sort of submit to the process and you've had to kind of, <laughs> you know, like an actor who finds a role that they just can't it, it, Well, it, I guess being a portrait painter is a bit like being an actor because you have to get under the skin of the subject in order to represent them truthfully. 
And yeah, sometimes you have to paint someone who is quite different to you personally. But like an actor, you have to adapt. It's all about empathy. And, you know, I always look for the good in people and bring that out. Because ultimately I'm a positive painter. That's not to say that I'm not interested in the nuance as well and the shadow. That's why my paintings have light and shade. Um, I'm fascinated by the complexity of, of, of you know, the human condition and, and, and the subjects yes. I paint. But generally I seem to get on well with the people that I paint because if they've chosen me to paint them, somehow that's a bit of a filter and it turns out that, you, you know, you're more likely to get on with somebody. It's only when they become very controlling that things start <laughs> to break down and that your vision somehow is altered. And, and that unfortunately can happen, but it, thankfully very rarely now. <laughs> I guess the way we all see ourselves is not the way that the, the world necessarily sees us. So, yeah, exactly. there is a sort of a, a slight imbalance there, isn't there? It's, it's a huge thing. One of their first missions is to understand how the subject sees themselves. You know, you've got a double function. You have to come up with your own vision of the subject. But mm. if you don't understand how they see themselves, well, firstly, you're, you're missing a layer of information about their character and personality so that it can inform you to understand what their sense of self-image is. It's vital to sort of somehow marry those visions or, or come up with a vision that, I don't know, satisfies, you know, everything <laughs> you know the subject yeah. has to be happy with their painting after all <laughs> on one level yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah although you don't aim to flatter you aim to be truthful yes because it is like a collaboration you enter into a sort of a relationship of trust when you paint someone's portrait it does sound as if you're a bit of an actor a bit of a novelist a <laughs> bit of an architect a <laughs> bit of a psychologist yeah. there's kind of all these I you know let alone right. your <laughs> your skill with a paintbrush i mean just all of these different um, yeah. roles come into play exactly it does feel like that a lot sometimes <laughs> yeah Something that's very different then is um, what the Royal Academy of Dance is asking people to do as part of its portrait competition. Yes. Because its new headquarters offers all sorts of opportunities to share the RAD's work with the wider community. And part of that is the portrait competition, which is going to mark the opening of the building. And for people who don't know, it's uh, the subject of this portrait will be Adeline Genet, who was an insanely famous ballerina at the beginning of the 20th century. Yes. Huge Danish ballerina, but huge in London and all over the world. Co-founder of the RAD and its first president. And of course, no longer with us, not for many decades. So how, yes. how do you, people begin to find all those kind of bits of truth and story that you've been talking about when they're tackling a long dead subject. It's fascinating. Posthumous portraits are, are you know, are something that portrait painters have to tackle. It's an exciting mm. sort of subgenre of portraiture in a way. And you have to treat it much in the same way by trying to go through as much archival material as you can and reading about the subject's life and you have to try to imagine what they're like. It's really 
about bringing them to life. And for that reason, posthumous portraits can actually be extremely powerful. Like I've had some of the strongest reactions from some of the people commissioning me when I painted a parent who's passed away, for example, and they feel like they're back in the room, in the living room, when the portrait hangs on the wall. And it's extremely oh, wow. powerful. It's a wonderful thing. And for someone like Adeline Janine's had such a rich life, there are many different stories to tell. You know, there's obviously the story as ballerina, as founder of the RAD. I think the first step is the artist has to choose which story they feel resonates with them most and then try to imagine what she she was like as a person and, and, and try to bring it to life using the archival material. It's a great yes. process. And I think she was known as the porcelain princess. She oh, was no. very, very attractive. She was, uh, But there's, again, there's that sense, yes. as with so many of your portraits, that there's another story possibly going on underneath. Yes, yes. In a way, a posthumous portrait allows the artist a lot of room for imagination. That's the exciting thing about it. You know, much in the way that a musician is able to reinterpret a piece of, you know, classical music, for example, in their own, through their own voice. I think given the same kind of archival material that all the artists will have presented to them, it's an opportunity for them to express their own imagination and to interpret it individually, you know, with their own creativity. Ralph, it is just such a fascinating process. (laughs) And talking about all of this and the different ways in has been enthralling, but I am now going to stop so that you no longer have someone looking at you with this slightly bug-eyed intensity. (laughs) And so I'm going to ask just one last question, which is dance hasn't played a huge overt part in your life, but I'm wondering as you think about this new role as a judge for the RAD competition, why does dance matter to you? Well, I mean, I love dance. I'm particularly fond of classical dance, actually, ballet. Um, and yeah. and I've, I love ballet through my love of classical music. So that's a bit of a passion of mine personally. But dance is just so integral in, in you know, for everybody, you know, in their lives today. It's, it's, it's such a huge part of life. It's such a huge form of self-expression. I think it, it provides artists with a lot of opportunity to express that sense of movement in, the, in their work. And lyricism, it's just a very vibrant and one of the most vibrant art forms today, dance clearly. And so it's wonderful to sort of have the synergy between portraiture and, and the art of dance in this competition. I'm really looking forward to seeing what artists come up with. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ralph. Oh, it's it's been pleasure. such a pleasure. <laughs> The corgis must be walked. (laughs) (laughs) Now I've got a bit of time to walk the corgis. (laughs) To learn more about the RAD's new headquarters or the portrait competition, do check out our show notes, where you'll also find links to Ralph's work and you can see those royal portraits. And please do follow, like and subscribe to us at Why Dance Matters so that you never miss an episode. Our guest today was Ralph Hymans. Why Dance Matters is made with the RAD team of Celia Moran, Melanie Murphy and Charlie Strachan and our artwork is by Bex Glendinning. That mysterious figure 
just beyond the picture frame is our producer, Sarah Miles. I'm David James. Take care and see you soon. <laughs>